Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm invisible story expert that's way better than the standard variety, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and nobody you know, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today <laughs> to talk about Gone, the 11th episode of season six. Gone aired on January 8th, 2002, and was written and directed by David Fury. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go and take care of that, and we'll just wait here while our molecular makeup loses its integrity, and then... So, we gonna chat this out or what? Let's go on patrol. In Gone, Buffy packs up everything that might possibly make Willow relapse while Dawn watches, objecting. Why do we have to get rid of so many things I like? Buffy talks about how any temptation could make Willow slip and fall back into bad habits, but as she pulls Spike's lighter out of the couch cushions and stares at it, we know what she's really talking about. Meanwhile, at the trio lair... In our mystical gem, we got ourselves an invisibility ray. I'd say that makes us pretty much unstoppable. At Buffy's, Willow is struggling through her magical withdrawal, and Buffy is struggling with Dawn's resentment and her own guilt about letting Dawn get hurt. As the morning's French farce commences, she bounces from dealing with Spike's advances... Stop trying to see me. ...to getting Dawn off to school with Xander, to an unexpected visit from Doris Kroger, the social worker assigned to Dawn and Buffy. From here, it's a series of things that make Buffy look bad. A little bit on the tardy side, isn't she? When Dawn was hanging out too much in my crypt. Buffy put right stop to it. He sleeps here? She's gay, but 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 we don't gay. Not that there's anything oh wrong with you know, I know what that looks like, but I, I, I swear it's not what it looks like. It's magic weed. And the parade of bad appearances makes Doris dubious that Buffy's fit to raise Dawn. I'll be monitoring you very closely, Miss Summers. And if I don't see that things are improving, well I'll be forced to recommend that you be stripped of your sister's guardianship. After Doris leaves, Spike returns and tries to comfort Buffy, who isn't interested. He angrily boxes her in at the door and reaches into her pocket to retrieve his lighter, calling her Goldilocks as he leaves. Frustrated, she goes upstairs and starts chopping at her hair, then goes to the salon to get the damage fixed. Just make me different. Out in town, the geek trio are up to some sort of mischief with their invisibility gun, but Jonathan and Andrew fight over it, randomly shooting a bunch of things in town, including Buffy, as she leaves the salon with her shorter hair. Oopsie. At the Magic Box, Xander and Anya are deep into wedding planning when Invisibuffy busts through the door, all invisible and everything. She has no idea what's going on, but is goofy with the freedom of it. She tells Xander and Anya to figure it out. Xander goes to Willow to see if perhaps Buffy's situation is the result of a spell gone wrong, and that lands like a lead balloon. I see. So now when anything nasty happens, I get conveniently blamed for it? Buffy, high on her shiny new blind visible superpower, goes to the social worker's office and makes her look crazy to her boss, who reassigns all of her cases, including Buffy's. Buffy whistles out of the office and goes straight to Spike's, throws him against the wall, and rips off his shirt. Buffy? I told you. At the magic box, Anya and Xander are getting nowhere with the research, but when Anya touches the invisible pylon that Willow spray-painted so they could see it, it gets all mushy, like pudding. In the Geek Trio Den, Warren explains exactly what's happening. The Slayer got slammed with a big-ass dose of radiation when they gun overloaded. Her cells are mutating at an accelerated rate. Eventually, her molecular makeup will start losing its integrity, and then... Jonathan and Andrew argue the semantic distinction that they're crime lords, not killers, and they need to revisible Buffy as soon as possible. Warren agrees, but clearly doesn't agree, and goes back to work on the invisibility ray gun. Meanwhile, Xander goes to Spike's crypt to find Buffy and walks in on Spike having sex with Invisibuffy, so Spike covers by pretending he's exercising. You gotta keep fit for the killing. While Invisibuffy messes with Spike, Xander explains what's happened and then leaves, grossed out by Spike. Buffy teases Spike and he gets mad at her, telling her that the only reason she's there is that she's not there, and throws her out. Get dressed if you can find your clothes and push off, because if I can't have all of you, I'd rather... Hey, that's cheating. At the espresso pump, Willow uses the internet to get information on the trio's van, and the internet is so fucking slow, but she doesn't use magic. At home, Invisibuffy upsets Dawn by making pizza boxes fly, and then listens to her voicemail messages. If this isn't reversed, you're gonna, well, dissolve or fade into nothing. Wow, 
Willow tracks the van and goes into the trio den. They make themselves invisible and take her hostage. They call Buffy and tell her to come to the arcade. Aw, remember arcades? <laughs> Where they are holding Willow. Warren tells Invisibuffy to hold an air hockey puck so he can reverse the invisibility effect and save her life, but Willow sees that the settings on the gun are wrong and warns Buffy. Warren knocks Willow down and an invisive fight ensues. Willow grabs the gun and reverses everyone, revealing Warren, Jonathan, and Tucker's brother. Warren identifies them as Buffy's arch nemesis and Jonathan <laughs> throws a smoke bomb, but they end up stuck at the back door, which is locked. I give you my arch nemesis. A security guard distracts Buffy and the trio escapes. Buffy and Willow go outside and talk. Willow got through a day without doing spells and she's exhausted. Buffy says that when she got the news that she was going to die, she knew she didn't want to die. And that ain't nothing. Yay for us. Yay. All right. So, Noelle. <laughs> yeah. Here we are with Gone. And um, yes. I'm curious what your overall response is to this episode. I have a very, very mixed response to this episode. So how did you feel about it? I have a very, very lukewarm yep. mm-hmm. response to this episode. It's like, meh, yeah. I guess. I don't I don't love it. I don't hate it, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I think about it overall, I think I like the idea more than the execution. Yeah, I think that there is something to the idea, but I feel like this is a lot of, it's a lot of theme that doesn't fit the rest of the story and that is wedged in here. Do you see? Do you see what it, do you see what I did there, Noel? Do you see uh-huh, that? Because yeah. there's a lot of yep. seeing in this episode. So it feels like somebody fell in love with a theme and didn't match it to what was actually happening within the broader story. Um, and this is never like Gone has never been one of my favorite episodes. It's it's fun. There are fun moments in it, but it feels like a sitcom approach to a dark place in the story arc. Now we've had sitcom episodes before. I mean, you know how much I love Jane Espenson. She is somewhat sitcom-y in her approach to humor. Um, but if you go back to something like Triangle, which was hugely sitcom-y, we were at a point in the overall story where we hadn't really gotten that dark yet, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Season five, we see ourselves move gradually more into darkness. And season six, we are in darkness with occasional glimpses of light. So when you put a sitcom kind of approach to a storyline in the middle of that overall environment it feels weird and it's not that you can't be funny like tabula rasa is totally funny but the sitcom funny like her hair is adorable and we keep bringing that back you know a spike getting caught having sex with invisibuffy and the way that she's messing with him while he's trying to talk to xander this is like literal situational comedy it is about the situation rather than necessarily about right. the character-based humor which is what we got in tabula rasa um so that approach that combination of factors like ends up making this episode just feel a little brittle kind of like it's whistling past the graveyard but in this in season six of Buffy we're already in the graveyard you cannot whistle past the thing that you are actually in so it just doesn't it doesn't match up for me you know what I mean well and it yes no I know exactly what you mean especially because it's such a heavy like I don't know invisibility feels like such a weighty metaphor to me yeah but the episode itself doesn't do that really right like no i don't know (laughs) like there's nothing that like we're literally looking at nothing (laughs) yeah oh which is another thing like yeah it's so bizarre like it's bizarre to be looking at nothing especially in this sort of light sitcom-y as you say kind of way Mm -hmm. rather than really digging into it like invisibility and mm-hmm. what that means yeah i mean invisibility in general seems to give a person license to mess with other people mm-hmm. like whether that's via something like the anonymity of the internet yes mm-hmm. <laughs> or in fiction as part of an experiment or an accident or a mutation mm-hmm. we see this over and over and over again and Invisible Buffy does that kind of. She's like a yeah. trickster dilettante. Oh, God, kind of I mostly love that. causing trouble. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also just like 
potentially traumatizing civilians who are minding their own business or just doing their jobs. Oh, yeah. Um, And also, if that girl wants to wear a studded cap, then let her wear a studded cap. It makes her happy. She clearly enjoys it. And you know what? I thought she was pulling it off. Yeah, it's like, it's fine. You don't have to agree with everyone's fashion choices. Whatever. (laughs) Nobody, nobody owes you taste when it comes to what Mm -hmm. they wear um so i'm just i just don't love invisible buffy Mm -hmm. i mean she's rude she's entitled she seems kind of deliberately obtuse Mm -hmm. but at the same time we're not really digging into that power like what is the power of being able to see but not being able to be seen. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that seems to be the appeal of the invisibility story, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think scientifically, now I'm no scientist, Mm -hmm. but my understanding is that because of the way our eyes work, a person who was invisible to others should also be unable to see. (laughs) Um, But that's not the story, you know, that's not the story we're here to tell. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not interested in that. Um, it is not clear, huh? Uh-huh. It's not clear to me whether Invisible Buffy can see herself, though I'm guessing she can't. Yeah. And I would be so into this if Buffy's yes. struggles were more textually about being in her body again. Mm-hmm. Right? Because yep. we hear that she had no form in the heavenly dimension where she was happy, but she knew she was herself. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've wondered... If some of Buffy's shock at being brought back has to do with the experience of being put back into her body. Right. Um, yeah. I talked mm-hmm. a little bit about that, that dramatic effect of like, we see her corpse, mm-hmm. like we see her decayed body come mm-hmm. back to, to life, not as an animated corpse, but as a like vibrant looking healthy Mm -hmm. young woman you know she looks how she looked when Mm -hmm. she jumped off that tower so we get we get a little echo of that trauma with the Mm -hmm. repetition of the mirror first with buffy hacking at her hair in her room Mm -hmm. and then with the shot of buffy at the stylist where they're both assessing the situation Mm -hmm. in the mirror Mm -hmm. you know and she says just make me different Mm -hmm. which ooh, i mean it's a lot like that's that's some heavy stuff there there's so much power left on the table in this episode i think because they chose a metaphor that doesn't match what the show is actually doing at the time like one of the things with invisibility that I thought would work better is if, um, you know, like, I think your idea is really great. And the idea of um, if Buffy's struggle was with shame, which outside of her relationship with Spike is really not the case. You know, she's not struggling with shame. She's struggling with who is she? She had such clarity about who she was and what she was supposed to do. Now she's back, you know, And she's got responsibilities and she's got to figure out her new life and figure out her new identity. And who is she now? You know, that she's had this experience of being dead. There was no pain, no fear or doubt. Right. You know, Um, that's a big thing to be pulled out of into essentially what is by comparison a hellscape. This is the bad place. Right. Um, Totally. So she's dealing with all of that. And that's huge. And that's what we're dealing with thematically. But the invisibility metaphor doesn't really work with that. I love your idea of like if if she felt out of phase with her body because she now knows what it's like to be without a body and then to have one and to feel at odds with it. That's an interesting thing that they did not do, but would have worked well with this invisibility thing. Like, I love that. Yeah. Especially if the like if we brought in the stuff with her physical body, you know, I keep harping on this like part of Buffy's struggle as I read it with her relationship with Spike is about being touching and being touched in a particular way Mm -hmm. that feels at odds with her, you know, the the story she has in her head about Mm -hmm. who she is. Right. And about what Mm -hmm. is right and wrong in terms of, you know, the kind of sex she has or the kind of relationship she has. Yes. If we were doing more of this, like, 
I'm back in this human body and everything feels weird and I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know how to reconcile my physical body Mm -hmm. and my physical desires with, you know, a kind of mental sense of who I am. Like, it's way too, like, there is depth here. There are Uh things to be explored. I mean, even if... Even if we were just like if shame were her issue Mm -hmm, for whatever reason, just Mm -hmm. kind of across the board, I think the invisibility would be a lot more enjoyable. And especially for me, like her giddiness at being invisible, Mm -hmm. it would it would just land so much better because part of the power of invisibility would be the power of not having to look at herself. Right. Right. Yeah. I almost feel like for what they're doing with the the Buffy Spike thing, Spike should be the invisible mm-hmm. one, right? Because she doesn't want to look at her relationship with right. Spike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm disgusted with myself, but then she's constantly turning away from mm-hmm. him in this, again, super problematic, like, no means yes kind of way that we will continue to discuss and, like, unpack. Right. And, problematize and all of that (laughs) but it's i don't know it's it's a bummer to me that Mm -hmm. they didn't do an invisibility story that like fit more neatly in with this idea too of like what if she had what if they had disappeared spike because that's exactly what she needs right she needs spike gone right so Mm -hmm. um because he is the thing that in which she is ignoring all of this pain and all of this trauma in every other area of her life, but she is acting through it with Spike. You know, she is is feeling her way through it with Spike. If Spike was suddenly invisible and then she discovered that it was killing him, that he was going to die, you know, and she could let him die and nobody would ever know what she had done and nobody would ever know. And it would be, and when, so yep. when she has to make that choice, because again, the most powerful thing that you can do with a fictional character is give them a choice to make. And she chooses to save him. Like that's a huge moment for her. If she chooses to save him, if she chooses to go through whatever it is that she has to go through in order to save him and bring him back, like that would be actually a really kind of interesting story beat because it gives her a choice here. She doesn't choose to be invisible. She just runs with it. She also is not Buffy. When she's when she's doing like I think it's hilarious when she's got the eyeballs and she's doing the eyeballs at Anya yeah. and everything like it's funny but it's not Buffy like none of this feels like Buffy and uh, yeah, I don't know like it all just it all feels so weird and it feels like a theme that they're really like they are beating the shit out of this theme how many times someone says I don't see I don't blame and we're we're uh, you know yeah. we're showing that sight and understanding are two different things because a lot of times we use I see as a you know as a, a symbol for like I understand I get it right mm-hmm. which of course nobody yeah. understands nobody gets it so we have that in there um, uh, but it is like we're we're working this this dough so hard and it's not the right dough you know it's not the right dough for what it is that we're doing everything feels completely out of phase in this episode so it's like the the individual moments in and of themselves are not necessarily like bad but they don't yeah. work. Like it doesn't work within the context of the greater run of Buffy. It doesn't work within the context of who these characters are and how they respond to these things. Um, it's all it's all just a little it's off. It's just off. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I mean, I think the the thing that gets us closest to making it sort of fit mm-hmm. is Spike when he says yeah. This vanishing act's right liberating for uh-huh. you, isn't it? The only reason you're here is that you're not yeah. here. And that line, I love that line. Like, it yeah. hits like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And, you know, and not just because I think he's absolutely right, but also because for me, it's the most accurate parallel between Buffy's affair with Spike yeah. and the idea of addiction mm-hmm. that we've got going. Right. Mm-hmm. Um And I'm looking at the idea of like being there, but not there specifically, Mm -hmm. like that feels that feels like it fits into an addiction recovery story really well or the idea of deliberately ignoring a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when Buffy says I'm free, 
I think that's the free two yes, that absolutely. I was wondering about with Willow's magic yeah. and Brett. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't quite work, right? It doesn't, yeah. the, the whole invisibility, like it doesn't fit into what we've been doing so far right because this is the thing like you and i have just spent i don't know 15 minutes or whatever um basically trying to make this work right we have put all the effort into making this work and the fact is that what's actually on the screen isn't working you know um it doesn't work within the greater context it doesn't work within the story beats it doesn't work within the you know for the characters in an individual scene at an individual scene level some of the stuff is cute You know, like some of it is, some of it is cute. Some of it is fun. Um, But overall, like it just, it feels so off. And when you and I have to go through so much work to try to like bend this into something that would fit within, within this story, then that shows that like whatever it is they gave us just is not, you know, is not, it's not working out. But I think it also shows that we want it we to do. work. We yes. do, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because it's such a compelling, it's a, it's a compelling storyline. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of potential mm-hmm. in invisibility. I mean, even with all of the, like, the sight yes. puns, right? Like, I know what that looks like, but I swear it's not what it looks mm-hmm. like. I think I've seen enough. We'll just see about that. Right. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, we get it. Like, it's great. It's clever. Um, but, there could be so much more there mm-hmm. where we could talk about how just because you see something doesn't mean that you have an accurate picture right. of what's going on. Seeing is not understanding. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is just not, again, like there's no there there. Mm-hmm. But there's one, there is one spot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where, where I want to like shoehorn this metaphor in a little bit because I feel like it almost works. Yeah. And uh-huh. that's the idea of marriage and disappearing. Ooh. Because um, the storyline. So we've been talking about these these two parallel mm-hmm. destructive relationships. Right. Buffy and Spike and Willow right. and Magic. Mm-hmm. And the storyline that hasn't really lined up mm-hmm. or linked up with all of that all of that conflict is the Anya and Xander planning their Mm -hmm. wedding stuff. When Invisible Buffy comes into the magic box, they're working on a seating chart for the reception. Mm -hmm. And Xander says, we're not inviting to Hoffren. (laughs) And Anya says, I have to, he's my (laughs) ex-boss. And she points out that Xander is inviting people from his Mm -hmm. work. And what I love about this is Anya getting more in touch with her former demon side the more she plans the wedding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, last week we saw it with Anya thinking about, you know, possible blood larva and burlap for the right. bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. And Anya mentioning that she's not asking Xander to perform the groom's rite of self-flagellation. <laughs> this week we're talking about inviting to Hoffring to yeah. the wedding, which... First of all, delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It just it raised this this question for me of what like what's going on for Anya yeah. in all of mm-hmm. this? Because at the beginning of I'll Never Tell, yeah. Anya sings the name I made. I'll trade for mm-hmm. his. But it seems as though the more she looks forward to getting married, mm-hmm. and I mean looks forward both in the excitement sense and in the thinking about the future mm-hmm. sense. The more she also looks back on her life before she met Xander. Mm -hmm. So as much as Anya apparently wants to be Mrs. Alexander Harris, she's also maybe struggling with the simultaneously or she's also maybe struggling with the simultaneous reappearance and imminent erasure of her demon side. Oh, my God. I love this. I don't know. There's so much. Yes. There's that what she was a demon for a thousand years yeah and it's like and we haven't really gotten into Mm -hmm. that much Mm -hmm. but as the wedding planning is like ramping up the demon side of Anya or her demon past I guess Mm -hmm. is coming out a little bit and I find that fascinating well yeah I mean that's a huge part of her identity right and she completely like as soon as she lost her ability to be the demon and she became a human woman 
she kind of like we totally forgot about all of that every now and again we'd make a joke about how she's a thousand years old or she'd have some kind of knowledge or she'd be like well you know during the whatever you know historical events where you know um all of that kind of like it there's there's so much that we just kind of like skim past, but we didn't really deal with her, her sense of her identity as a demon, you know, and that that was her community for like 1200 years. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, and we're seeing her identify with mm-hmm. that more in these like most recent episodes. Yeah. And I find that just so fascinating. I mean, especially knowing what comes mm-hmm. next. But it's so, it's this subtle identity conflict that I think kind of fits in Uh with everything that's going on, but doesn't really get folded in in the same way. And then, of course, Xander's big question at the end of I'll Never Tell is, am I marrying a demon? (laughs) To which the answer is, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you are, honey. I mean, not... Not totally, but, but yes, you identity are, wise, you yes, are marrying huge someone with significant demon experience. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, this is it's a fascinating thing to me. And there's this lovely, subtle moment when this is we're back in back and gone now. There's yeah. this lovely, subtle moment when Anya goes back to wedding planning as they're still talking about Buffy's invisibility. Mm-hmm. She's looking at the seating chart again, and she says, maybe it's a mistake. Yeah. Meaning, of course, the fact that Buffy is invisible. Right. But mm-hmm. maybe also the marriage. Uh, yeah. And then Xander says, a magical mistake, which <laughs> might be one of the hottest takes on marriage ever. <laughs> so, wow, that is I, a whole other podcast. But yes, I love I that mean... read. I love that read. <laughs> I mean... I don't think it's coincidental that we have this, we have more friction between these two mm-hmm. around marriage and identity while we're also yeah. like dealing with disappearance and, and toxic relationships. And oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't no, know. I mean, that's such a Maybe a there's wonderful... not as much there there as I want there to be. No, but... no, there is definitely not as much as there should be because that's an incredible read and I absolutely love it. And if we had had Anya disappear and go invisible in this episode, that would have been a real thing, like exploring that because there is a real sense, I mean, historically of a woman's identity being being, you know, basically blended into the name I made, I'll trade for his. Now, she, of course, made up her name. Most of us don't. Yes. But it's we trade our names for his, you know, when you have that, that, you know, that kind of a a marriage, Um, which happens, I think, less and less now as, as, you know, people keep their own names and they maintain their own identities. But historically, that has been a thing, Um, you know, like culturally. Um, And it's so interesting, too, about how she has ever since losing her identity as a demon has really leaned into this human, you know, girl experience. I want to go to prom and I want to get married and I want to have a boyfriend and I want to have sex. It doesn't make sense to have these interlocking bodies and not interlock. Um, She's exploring the human side of herself. And now that she is about to be essentially, you know, identity wise subsumed by Xander, which has been her entire existence since she has been completely consumed by Xander throughout this whole thing, you know, Um, that now as they're looking to get married, as they're going toward the final step of her, like releasing her identity to become part of him, you know, here she is reaching Mm -hmm. back toward the demon thing. And also like, here's my ex boss. Uh, You know, if I get married again, I don't think I will. But if I ever do, like, I'm not going to care about my ex boss being there. Like if it's an ex boss also happens to be a friend, that's different. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's not about him being her ex boss. It's about him being part of her community, part of her identity. And she wants him there. Um, Yeah, I think that is really interesting. I love that read. Wouldn't it amazing? Like here, yeah, basically, like I, we're saying make anybody else invisible, and it could have worked. You know, it would have been a very different story. Like literally, anyone very in different. the cast could be yeah. invisible, and it mm-hmm. would be a different story. And that is why invisibility is so interesting, and why I'm yes. so irritated that this episode is kind of meh. 
<laughs> uh, then this episode didn't really play with it that much. Um, you know, one thing we do in this episode, though, like as we get back into the story arc, you know, um, is, you know, we bring the trio back. Um, and since these guys are the path that brings us to the final big bad, you know, with Dark Willow, I suppose that they are supposed to matter. Um, previous <laughs> watches of the season, I have been more... Um, more entertained and more charmed by these guys. The more I watch it, uh, the less they they charm and entertain me, and the more I just like either don't care or am actively irritated, annoyed, and offended by them. Um, I, but I've always enjoyed the Geek Trio, at least from a philosophical perspective, because they bring us into mundane, human, fully ensouled evil. And I think that that is a really interesting discussion to be had. We've been having these discussions from the, from jump, from welcome to the Hellmouth. You know, we've been having discussions about what is the nature of evil? What is the nature of the soul and relating to that evil? How is it that if you lose your soul, you lose all, you know, a connection with with being a, a, a decent person and you're just pure evil. Um, but then, you know, the soul itself is not, you know, does not inoculate you from evil because we have the truth. We would always look forward and talk to the trio as our evidence of the soul does not equal goodness, right? Um, it mm -hmm. equals, I think, I think where we've landed is that it equals an opportunity for goodness, um, but it is not, you know, uh, the, the ultimate path to goodness. So I think that the trio for me open up a very interesting space in the world building for that kind of philosophical discussion but I don't care like I'm watching these guys and I'm like I don't care about you I don't care about you even Jonathan's semantic argument were crime lords not killers which I would ordinarily find worth talking about just makes me tired like I'm so I'm so <laughs> done with these little boys out there you know, destroying everything with their entitlement and their petulance. Um, I just, it's, it's not funny to me anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the like, MRAs are not funny. Incels are not yeah. funny because they're actively like damaging. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Cause they're doing a know. lot of fucking damage now. Yeah. And, I mean, they always have, but like now we're, we're actively looking at it, you know, real in our real world. And so when I see them here, they're not cute and funny anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, and it's, they're, they're legitimately chilling. I mean, it's, it's something about them that I think works is that mixed in with all of this, mm -hmm. like, it's almost like Looney Tunes. Like they have this theme music yeah. when they're not being mm -hmm. evil. When it's when it's we're when they're being like goofy. sneaking yeah. around and doing schemes. Mm -hmm. There's this music that's like yeah, da, 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 da. You know, and we're like, you know, it's like funny. Like mm -hmm. we're supposed to think this is funny, right. but then folded in there, we have things like, you know, Jonathan and Andrew expressing concern about killing people, and Warren mm -hmm. is like. Oh, you guys are so immature because yeah. being chill with killing people is maturity in Warren's world. Right. And okay. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. But it's folded yeah. into all of this just like, I don't know, tomfoolery and shenanigans and nonsense. And I'm just tired. I like, know. It just like, makes just me tired. Tell. And this is with like the incredible charm of Tom Lank and Danny Strong, who as actors doing a thing, I love what they're doing and I love how they're doing it. I think they're doing amazing. I also think that Adam Bush as Warren is doing a good job at what he does. So when I say I don't like them, I, I appreciate what the actors are doing with the material. I really do. I'm just I'm so tired of this of this this petulant, you know, boy nonsense um, that that causes so much damage while, you know, taking no responsibility for themselves. I mean, we talk about maturity. This is the ultimate height in immaturity It is the height of of um, entitlement 
um, to things which they have not earned. The the naked chicks uh, line is something that I was just like, all right, you know, <sighs> it, it came and it went, and I was like, you know what, I'm not even gonna like, I can't. Right? I'm, I'm Lucy at the chocolate factory with the offensive <laughs> shit that these guys serve up, and I cannot take them all. I cannot wrap them all. They're coming at me too fast, and I'm like, just swat it away and let it land on the floor. I'm just, I've had enough. I'm so so tired of these guys. Um, I do, like I said, I do appreciate the philosophical discussion. I do appreciate the looking at this, this type of, you know, of personality that we do have as a very real influence in our culture. I appreciate the fact that, that Marty Noxon, who was running the show this season, you know, took a, a look at that kind of personality and said, this is real damage that they're doing and was, and was going to explore it. Um, all of that stuff I think is actually really good. And I do enjoy season six. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in season six that I really, really love. Um, these guys, I'm so tired of talking about giving my time, giving my energy, giving the, the you know, like the respect of my like intellectual discourse to these assholes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the the I don't know, the the geek trio is proof that you can cause a lot of damage. Yeah by accident mm -hmm. but we know right. this in the same way that like we don't need magic and drugs to be the same thing because yeah. we know how drugs work exactly like i don't i don't know i don't I, maybe huh, i don't know i'm just tired can we move on i'm just tired <laughs> do we yes, have other stuff to talk about <laughs> we have other stuff we, can we you just be kissing stuff? me now can we just skip it can you just can be kissing me now? i actually have used that line a lot lately because with everything that's been happening now i'm like can we just skip it can we just skip ahead to the inauguration can you just be inaugurating me now can we just skip ahead to the packnet can you just be vaccinating me now can like can we just skip it is like the theme of my whole life and i actually love that moment that beat with tara and willow at the end i think it's oh, we'll God. talk about why it's it's problematic and they couldn't just skip it but anyway um you can never just skip it um but right now i'm at this point so um the other thing that i was thinking about in terms of the story in this episode is uh how incredibly thin the conflict is here um and i find it really really irritating um first of all the social worker as the bad guy um, first of all, I hate this because it is not the social worker is not the uh, episode antagonist. The social worker isn't doing anything but her job. Um, but we yeah. spend this time kind of dealing with her as a major conflict that Buffy in the middle of the episode just manages to swat away with her, you know, her uh, invisible gaslighting hijinks, you know. Um, but one of the things I've always said, and I will continue to say and stand by is that fiction is not answerable to reality, like the story has to feel believable, but it does not need to be realistic. Hence, vampires, right? We believe the world of Buffy, even though it is filled with vampires and demons and things that in reality, we don't have within our world, right? Um, but social workers are real things that we do have in our world. And they bust their asses to keep kids safe and keep families together. And a social worker job in this situation is to get Buffy the help she needs to help to keep Dawn and only remove Dawn from the home if Buffy's not trying and um and actually and Dawn is an actual like you know real danger like social workers and you know I grew up the, the child of a social worker and so maybe because I was close to it you know when when we know something for real that can sometimes throw us out of a story um oh yeah but I don't like that for I sure. don't like that representation of social workers and what they do um because that's not what it is uh so we have this evil power mad social worker um, is really just an excuse to put this thin pressure on Buffy. And I say thin because losing Dawn is not something we deal with at all for the rest of the season. So this isn't like a big overwhelming arc that we're dealing with. It's like a five minute thing, which we resolve with sitcom-y ghosty gaslighting sequence that A, isn't really consistent with Buffy's character at all. And B, is not funny. It's just dumb. So yeah. the whole thing is, um, is really irritating. And I always 
always hate that beat um, because what it says about social workers, we need social workers. Social workers are going to save the fucking world. Um, and, um, and we need to like, and so the idea of, of treating a social worker and what a social worker does as this evil, you know, you're coming in and messing up my life kind of thing, um, is not how that works. So, so that irritates me again, fiction is not answerable to reality. So I, I take that into consideration while I make that argument. Um, but also Dawn, um, it seems like we've we've gotten, you know, Joyce, we've Joyce has passed on and now we have Dawn as our conflict vending machine, which is, I think, part of the reason yeah. why people get irritated with Dawn. And I get it. Um, but while I love I love Dawn's being upset with Buffy when Buffy is floating the pizza box around and joking around and Dawn's like, you're freaking invisible. Like, I understand that. I think that's absolutely legit conflict. I understand Dawn wanting Buffy to take her life seriously uh, because she needs Buffy to take her life seriously, especially because Dawn's foster parents have just broken up and the other one's addicted to drugs. Like Dawn needs right. somebody who's going to be in charge here and taking things seriously. When Buffy's not doing that, um, I can see like completely understand Dawn being upset there. Um, the Dawn bitching about getting rid of Cocapelli and candles and whatnot, and then blaming Buffy because Buffy didn't prevent Willow from hurting her. All of this stuff, um, I find just it's just conflict vending machine stuff. It's not really working with the character. I don't I mean, Dawn's whole life has been completely upended. One of her two parents has just left. The other one's addicted to drugs. Um, I think in that circumstance, she would be like, yeah, let's let's get old Willow back because the Willow I was with the other night that crashed the car scared the shit out of me. Right. Um, So the idea that that Dawn is not a character that exists to be a character, but rather a character that exists to cause problem for Buffy the way that Joyce did um, I find that really super flat and I'm glad we don't do that with Dawn to the extent that we do it with Joyce but we do it enough that I think it makes Dawn really irritating I actually it's funny I actually really like Dawn in this episode Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe again this is my read on her Mm -hmm. in this episode that is the reason why I like her maybe maybe I'm just writing an elaborate fan fiction and that is why I like this Dawn Um, but I like her being surly. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like Dawn taking out her feelings on Buffy mm-hmm. makes more sense than either Willow or Buffy really recognize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Buffy says that Buffy says that Dawn is angry with her, is angry with Buffy because Buffy let it yeah. happen, meaning Willow's mm-hmm. magic mm-hmm. addiction. But that's not how addiction works, Um, unless we want to tell a story about codependency, Mm -hmm. which is not a story we're telling. Codependency is the idea that it's not only the addict who has a problem, it's also their friends and partners who are, quote unquote, codependent. Mm -hmm. Um, Buffy is not addicted to Willow being addicted to magic. She's not a magic enabler. (laughs) These are not metaphors. Like, these are not the metaphors you're looking for. Um, like, but that's that's also not Dawn's issue with Buffy. Mm-hmm. Dawn's issue with Buffy is that Buffy isn't present, mm-hmm. right? Because Dawn, let's think about Dawn for a second here. <laughs> Dawn watches Buffy leap to her death in heroic sacrifice, but still mm-hmm. leap to her death only to have Giles leave then have Buffy be resurrected and come yeah. back like super traumatized mm-hmm. and, you know, rightfully checked out. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. Dawn has Giles leave again and then yeah. Tara leaves mm-hmm. and then Willow almost kills her in a magical drunk driving accident. I mean, <laughs> Buffy has been there, but she mm-hmm. hasn't really been yeah. there. And I don't want to get too finger pointy about it because part of the reason Dawn ended up in the car with Willow at all is that Buffy was going to be like, there's this whole, I don't Mm -hmm. want to blame Buffy not being there for Willow crashing car because Willow, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a complicated Mm -hmm. blame game that I don't really want to play. But Dawn is angry with Buffy. (sighs) I think Dawn being angry with Buffy has nothing to do with Willow and everything to do with Buffy. Mm-hmm. And when Buffy starts joking around with Dawn, I just 
hate it. I hate yeah. it so much. Dawn yeah. is immediately freaked out. And of course she is. Her sister, who hasn't really been present for months, is suddenly mm-hmm. really not present. Like it. Yeah. It drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole Dawn. I don't know. I It drives me crazy that Buffy doesn't see that there are reasons that Dawn might be angry with her that mm-hmm. have nothing to do with Willow. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> but I feel very much like Dawn is entitled to her anger in this. Now, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about the, like, you know, the statue was mom's. Why can't we have candles stuff? That feels... Mm-hmm. Eh, that feels more like we we have made this parallel between magic and mm-hmm. drugs and we have to kind of keep it going and remind the audience that we're going to keep it going. Yeah. But in terms mm-hmm. of like Dawn being pissed off, like I'm here for it, mm-hmm. to be honest. No, I love her. I love her being mad at Buffy during the floating pizza scene. I think that's great. Um, it's 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 like the constant It's that Dawn's almost always a source of no of conflict within a scene at a scene level. It's a cheap level of vending machine conflict that I don't think always works. And also if Dawn wasn't angry in the beginning or wasn't like, you know, complaining if was she was with Buffy and helping everything and then got mad here, it wouldn't look like Dawn's just always mad. And so she's mad because she's always mad. It would look like Dawn has a real fucking mm. reason to be mad, which she does in that moment with Buffy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would have more power too. So for me, it's like, I don't like it in the beginning, but I love it in that moment. I think it's really, really good in the floating pizza moment. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we talked about it a little bit already, but like invisible Buffy is weird just she's not Mm -hmm. she's not Buffy no she's really not and it's um it's all very awkwardly put stop trying to see me you know I mean whatever (laughs) you know like it's it's we're working the sea and the sight and all of that stuff so hard we're working that dough so hard um invisible Buffy doesn't feel like Buffy it's not a character that works in that way um and we don't see this as necessarily like part of her personality I mean, we've had an invisibility story before out of sight out of mind in season one which i think was actually thematically worked so much better than this one does you know and so um i i just i don't know like the invisible buffy is not my favorite buffy i the whole thing with spike where she's like nibbling on his ear while he's talking to xander and messing with him and everything like you know i like i like buffy having a sense of humor she doesn't have to be dour all the time but like it's again it's this whistling past the graveyard kind of thing we are in the graveyard we are in the graveyard we have literally started the season in the graveyard buried and decomposing like we're in it yeah like there's no way around it so to have this weird uh, tonal thing going on here is just so i don't know i don't even know how to like work with any of that i'm just i'm just letting it go um but you had some really really cool thoughts on willow Oh, man. Yeah. Sweet Willow. She's trying so hard. There's just when we see her working at the Mm -hmm. dining table, she's just giving me Sunnydale High School library flashbacks with all her stuff laid out. Mm -hmm. It's just it's so sweet. And she's like, you know, she's really making an effort at this whole recovery thing, which is, you know, it's wonderful. Um. This is just the tiniest little detail, but I like that Willow is drinking water. Mm-hmm. She's we we see her drink from a water bottle a couple of times, um, but at the table in uh, in the summer's home, there's also a couple of water bottles like on the table, including one that's empty. And after the black water cooler at Rax, this feels like a recovery <laughs> step to me. <laughs> Like a metaphorical one, perhaps, Mm -hmm. but it feels like a good step. And also, like super metaphorically, she's engaging with her emotions in a healthy way, perhaps. Maybe. Because water is our emotions. And, you know, when you're coming out of a a maladaptive coping mechanism that is maybe has something to do with having feelings and emotions that you don't really want to feel. (laughs) 
you know, engaging with those directly is a good, that's, that's good recovery, Willow. I just, you know, there you go. it's very sweet. I want to applaud <laughs> I like her. It too. Um, and then, but then we get this, this scene with Xander where Xander, Xander comes to talk to her, you know, and he says, Willow, we need to talk. And she says, um, we are talking while I'm talking and you're looking at me funny. And then we go into this whole, this whole bit about relapse and recovery and suspicion and she gets angry. And again, this is a, the performance sells Mm -hmm. it moment for me. Like I am angry on Willow's behalf. She's indignant at the idea that her friends wouldn't trust her, but she also hasn't been very trustworthy. And she clearly wants to use magic. It's her first impulse when she needs to move the book. But she's offended that Xander is suggesting that she might have relapsed. This whole thing with Willow feels weird and it feels off for Willow to like, she storms out, you know, and plays it like the problem. Well, if everybody thinks I'm going to be using magic, then I just should. As though the problem here is what people think rather than like, you know, the very real damage that she has done. And so we don't see in that moment Willow taking real responsibility for what she has done and the fact that, you know, the fact that if something goes wonky, yeah, they're going to look at Willow and ask a question. That's a reasonable thing to do. Um, that said, when every little bit of your energy is going into not doing the thing that you really want to do, like that's fucking exhausting. And Willow still gets mm-hmm. it done. Yes, she absolutely does. I mean, what is so great about this Willow mm-hmm. is that even as she's resisting using magic to help her with all the things, she's still pretty magical. She is. Yes. Like, visually even there's something very magical about hot pink spray paint (laughs) on an invisible traffic cone like it it just it just looks very magical i mean not to mention the implied thought process that got her Mm -hmm. there i mean this is willow in detective mode and willow in detective mode is as magical as willow with the sparks and the blacked out eyes it's just a different kind of magic well she's got and i like to see yeah, that she's got power she comes in she sees the blueprints she understands the thing that warren is building when uh everybody is invisible and willow's the only one who's not invisible um she <laughs> looks at the um at the the gun and sees that the setting is off and so she knows all of that she knows how to do it she knows exactly what's happening i mean she is she's badass she's also able to solve a crime using a I don't know 56 baud modem on an internet cafe computer uh, which is hilarious oh Oh my god God, I remember that Um, it is so freaking adorable Um, so I I, you know all of this stuff with Willow I I love and I think that showing that she is still science she still you know has knowledge understanding of computers she taught a computer class when she was in high school like she She's, you know, she's badass, right? Um, So I really, really appreciate that about Willow. Um, But this is one of the areas, though, where the quote unquote magic as drugs metaphor doesn't go all the way for me. It doesn't work for me. And the reason that Willow got into magic in the first place was to help people and save lives. And if you have the power to save lives and you don't, that is a difficult choice to make. And we don't really address that that much. We have a little bit of that moment Mm -hmm. with her. But she has the power to do all of this much faster. And like, I mean, let's just say, what if Buffy had died while Willow was not using magic when she could have saved her by moving faster with the magic? One of the things is that she said it's so slow. And my goodness, I felt her pain on that one, right? You know, if my if my <laughs> internet yep. connection slows down for any reason, I'm like, oh my, God. <laughs> you know, and I end up throwing a fit. It's the worst, you know, um, it's really, really hard. But with Willow, you know, the speed isn't just an irritation. It it is a life or death situation because it's not magic. I mean, magic is not a drug addiction. It's not the same thing. The hardest addictions to manage are the ones where you cannot go cold turkey, like, say, food addictions, right? Because the consequence of cold turkey is death, you know? Um, So they play this like the only consequence of magic is harm to Willow and she can just give it up and that's it. And that's not 
really true. And even Tara, when Tara had a problem with the way that Willow was using magic, it wasn't the, that Willow was using magic. It was the way right. Willow was using magic. When Willow says, I'll quit for a month, you know, and Tara's like, that's yeah. not the point. The point is, is that you're fixing the world to your liking as opposed to using magic to save people. And if you had had to have Willow in that complicated middle space where she does have to use magic, but she has to be careful how she uses it, that would have been a much, much more interesting space to be in, I think, than this just flat magic is drugs metaphor. Oh, I agree. I mean, and you could even still do. Yeah magic is drugs i mean you wouldn't have done it in mm-hmm. 2001 2002 i don't think i don't think you would even do yeah. it now on a tv show but the it doesn't have to be yeah. all or exactly. nothing with with drugs you can't like you know there is a there are um paths of recovery that involve moderation yep. but of course if your message ultimately has to be dominant culture Mm -hmm. drugs are bad full stop you should never do Mm -hmm. drugs you can't tell that story where you have nuance with well sometimes this is okay and sometimes it's not and we have to examine how difficult it is to walk in the middle of that space you know i mean that's a much more interesting story yeah Yeah, because that's a story i mean it's a story about a lot of things Mm -hmm. but it becomes a story about about ego And am I doing this? Am I doing this in the service of others? Or am I am I doing this? Because it's the way that I for, want things to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To shape the world how yeah. I want the world to be. Yeah. Again, way more complicated than what Absolutely. we can. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, is that just going to be our theme for this episode of, of Buffy? It's just like, there's there's like more here that didn't happen that could have happened. I, I don't think know. Gone is the could have been good, but wasn't episode of Buffy. You know, it's I mean, like, could have been, had, had lots of potential, did not utilize it uh, to its best use, you know, as far as the, the, I mean, and again, like moment to moment, scene to scene, are there delightful moments within this episode? Yeah, absolutely. And the hair is adorable. So cute. (laughs) Um, uh, But in the overall, like we're talking about, and especially because like our expectation of Buffy is really high because Buffy often meets and exceeds those expectations. So when you have something like this, where it's just kind of okay, you know, it's like, "Eh, all right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that one thing that is pretty consistently good in this yeah. episode, though, is Spike. Oh, well, you know um, I'm going to agree with that. <laughs> I mean, I know how you feel about Spike, but I also, yeah. I'm very interested in the Spike that we get in this yeah. episode because he's, you know, he's there at the house. Mm-hmm. First of all, Spike showing up in the morning is you hilarious. You flammable time of day to flammable take a stroll. Time of day. <laughs> it's it so, is so funny. cute. It's so mm-hmm. funny. But, you know, he's there and he's like, yo, we need to talk, mm-hmm. except all, you know, spiky. Yeah. So we're going to chat this out a lot. <laughs> you know, we can't do his little spike it. accent. Yeah. Um, and it just raises the question for me of like, how many times does Spike ask or suggest or demand that he and Buffy talk? And how many times does she blow him off? <laughs> the rising music and the rising music. And what was that, Buffy? Yes, exactly. Yeah, like it drives me crazy. And I know that we need to talk is among the scariest phrases yes, known to humankind, exactly. especially if you <laughs> Yeah, especially if you tend to be that kind of, yeah. you know, Capricorn, blinders on, business, head down, stakes mm-hmm. up sort of, right. you know, Buffy Summers type of person. <laughs> yeah. But not talking about it does not make it go away. But she away. does talk to him. Eventually, she always does, which she didn't with Riley. Like, she does True. talk to him. She talks to him at, when they're together, and she's like, I'm free. I'm free from life. I'm free from everything. Like, she's going through. She is actually talking to him. Um, and, yeah. yeah, and he does demand that communication, which I think is so interesting because what is the value of that communication, right? Except to make you closer and more intimate with somebody right yeah and that here is spike with his you know no soul i'm a vampire i'm evil the only reason i'm not killing you is because i got a chip in my head this is spike with a bid for fucking connection and intimacy and i'm here for it 
over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Mm-hmm. And he's so, he is so dear in right. that when, opening when scene. When Doris leaves. Standing up for the social yes. order. When Doris leaves and then he's there and he wants, and he wants to talk to her and he's like, you know, are you okay? And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. And then that that's when he gets all, you know, vampire and slams up against the door and takes his uh, lighter back. But he starts yeah. that with a bid for fucking connection and intimacy. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy's a great mom. <laughs> like, he's just... <laughs> It's and it again, like uh, we say this over and over, but it is what makes him so mm-hmm. complicated yeah. because he does get all up in her personal yeah. space a couple of times mm-hmm. in that, you know, in the house when she's told him she's telling him to stop, telling him don't mm-hmm. do that again. It gets played as a she's saying but no, she means, but she yes, means yeah. exactly, which is not and so okay. I'm already, yeah. already sick mm-hmm. of it. But when he's not, when they're not doing that little toxic dance of non-consent, there's like this darling Spike the boyfriend, which of course Buffy is very quick to point out, oh, he is is not not my my boyfriend. boyfriend. (laughs) But, you know, like when she's with him, you know, in his crypt and he's throwing her out, it's because the only reason you're here is because you're not here. He wants more. Yeah. 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 I, I love, I love all of Spike's yeah. insight yeah. into that mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. dynamic. It's great. And I love, I love that it starts with her coming to his crypt. She's invisible. Yeah. We see him at home Uh, just a vampire at home there's a lot of daylight in spike's crypt like a lot of daylight and vampire wise that is right up there with angel having constant roaring (laughs) fires in the background because there is nothing like an ambiance that can kill you everybody can be killed by a big fire but the thing is is the vampires can be killed by like three things you know, it's right. like having a bunch of stakes like on the floor just in case pointed upward, you know, right. and then like lots of daylight and then the fire going. It's like they're just they're playing with their own immortality. And then you just sleep on a guillotine exactly. for good measure, you know, <laughs> like a rickety a guillotine. Rickety guillotine. <laughs> so yeah. like vampire wise... It's it's bananas. But metaphor wise, it's great Mm -hmm. because Spike has insight. Mm -hmm. Spike has clarity. And he's not as much a creature of the darkness as he or anyone else thinks he is. Mm -hmm. And of course, (laughs) and of course, I love the detail that watching a scary movie with blood everywhere makes Spike hungry. (laughs) It's so good. And I just, mm-hmm. I mean, just for a moment of delight, I love him saying, whatever beastie you are, I know you're here and I hurt beasties. Oh, and beasties. I love the way he says it, too. He's like, and I hurt beasties. Like, it's just, it's yeah, really nice. It's, I love that. It's good. Mm-hmm. But Spike knows what's up with Buffy. Mm-hmm. That she's only hanging out at his crypt because she's invisible. Mm-hmm. I like that he sees her even when he can't see her. Yes. To bring my own ridiculous <laughs> sight wordplay into this. I love it. And then there's that line right before he throws Mm -hmm. her out where he says, because if I can't have all of you, I'd rather. And we interrupt that thought for a joke, which, okay, whatever. Well, the delivery of the line is funny. Like she's clearly going down on him and he's like, hey, that's cheating. And it's funny, but also, you know. But also she just kind of made his point for him. Like, I don't know. Like... I feel like taking take making that moment into mm-hmm. a joke takes away from the poignancy, yeah. which is probably part of the point. Yeah. But Spike is still trying to talk about what's going on and not going on between them. And he's increasingly not okay with Buffy not being fully present for their quote unquote relationship. Yeah. Like it's really good. He's really observant. Yeah. And it just gets folded into the the sitcom mm-hmm. invisibility nonsense it does. of the episode. It does. gets undercut by the sitcom stuff. And again, the sitcom stuff is not the strength here, but it sure is what they're going for. But the hair is adorable. 
The hair is adorable. It's so cool. It's actually one of the beats that I like in this episode. Um, I love Buffy cutting her hair off after Spike calls her Goldilocks. Now, it would be nicer if they had built that up at all. through the. If he had ever talked about her hair, if it had ever been a thing, if he had called her Goldilocks instead of pet and love and slayer and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like, okay, you know, it would, it would be more interesting in terms of her, you know, identity struggle. But I do like that she cuts off her hair as a, as a sense, first of all, because he says, I like the way it floats around when you're, you know, clearly like when he, they're having sex or whatever, you know, he's, he's referencing that and she interrupts him. Um, and so she cuts it off because he likes it, you know, um, but she's still yeah. altering her identity because of him. You know, and because of what it is that she wants from him. And then when she goes in and sits down at the salon and says, make me different. Um, I love that. Oh, boy. That has so much potential for being such a huge thing. And yet... We don't deal with it because the the she does look different, but then she's invisible. Like she she goes the one thing she does to reclaim her identity becomes completely moot by everything else that happens in the episode because nobody can fucking see her. You know, um, yeah. yeah. It's just it's so it's such a weird thing because it's such a great moment, and it, and once again it has this incredible potential that is just you know not really met by the rest of the the episode which is which is always a shame but uh anyway i do have a question for you noelle i really want to know yes. what are you wearing okay i don't know if this is particularly mm-hmm. meaningful but i love willow's long button front cardigan sweater yes. mm-hmm. it's like stripey and it's warm colors and she just looks so pretty mm-hmm. i feel like the hair makeup wardrobe departments are all like coalescing into this prettiness Mm -hmm. for willow which you know is probably not a coincidence when we're wanting to applaud her for making this good you know this good first step in her magical recovery (laughs) right right? like of course she has to look Mm -hmm. like softer and more romantic because she's on the right Mm -hmm. path um is it a little propaganda Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Does she look amazing? Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. She does. I she love looks it. really good. All right. So what's your favorite part? Uh, it's a big shrug. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's hard to find a favorite part when the whole episode is so meh for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, everyone who has to act to nothing does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. It might, you know, maybe it is the running, not quite gag about Buffy's hair being adorable while she's yeah, invisible. Yeah, that's kind of cute. Know. That's kind of cute. I don't know. Yeah. What's your favorite Honestly, part? Honestly, God. I mean, you know, I, I this episode, because there's so much unmet potential, there's so many things that I start to love that I'm really into as an idea that just doesn't get met. And so like that doesn't really feel right. I mean, honestly, like if I'm completely honest with myself, uh, when Spike returns back after Doris uh, leaves the social worker and he wants to talk Mm -hmm. to Buffy and he has that bid for connection, he wants to make sure that she's okay. And then she blows him off and he turns into, he doesn't put on vamp face, but he turns into vampire Spike and he slams his hand down next to her and then reaches in and gets his lighter from her front pocket. It's, you know, the the say no when you mean yes thing, which I hate and is bullshit, but it's super fucking hot. I'm just like, I can't, you know, I have to say, I I like it. (laughs) I like it in my fiction. It's okay for stuff like that in fiction, as long as you know that it's not okay in real life. Fiction is a safe place where you can play out with those things. But yes, I think it's kind of nice. Let's go fiction. Let's go fiction. (laughs) If you enjoy this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our December producers, Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers, yay for us. To find out how you too can support Chipperish media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. 
Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or find a less flammable time of day to take a stroll. We'll be back next time with Double Meat Palace, the 12th episode of season six. Until then, stop trying to see me.